You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. This week on Women on the Line, Dr. Shura Tan and Professor Marie Seagrave discussed their study into migrant and refugee women's experiences of sexual harassment in the workplace. Today's show discusses themes of sexual violence and abuse and might not be suitable for all listeners. For crisis support, call Lifeline on 131114 or the Sexual Assault Crisis Line on 1-800-806-292. We start the show with Professor Marie Seagrave giving us a background into the study. So um, one of the outcomes of the Respect at Work review effectively was that research would be commissioned by Anne Rose around sexual harassment in the workplace. And so Anne Rose, which is Australia's National Research Organisation for Women's Safety, um, created a grant opportunity and we applied for that. So there's a number of projects that sit within that and all of them are broadly committed to advancing research and knowledge and policy perhaps around understanding sexual harassment at work and how to move forward in that space. And this work came about partly because of other collaborations and other work um, I had led and undertaken with Harmony Alliance um, that was focused on migrant refugee women's safety and security. And um, so this project has sought to extend that kind of approach to exploring migrant refugee women's experiences of sexual harassment in the workplace um, via kind of a, a kind of snapshot through a survey, which I'll let Siri speak to more specifically, and then what we're in now, which is the second phase, which is a lot of interviews and focus groups trying to examine in detail what we're finding and what this means. So the work broadly is interested in the specificity of people's experiences but also thinking about structural barriers. So sometimes we have these kind of conversations perhaps about diversity, but there's no recognition of structural barriers and the ways that workplaces or the migration system or other structures actually can sustain uh, various forms of violence, including sexual harassment. Thanks for that, Marie. I think for the study itself, when we did the survey, in terms of the respondents or participants, the way we'd gone about doing it, it's we opened it up to all women who identified themselves as migrant and or refugee women. Um, and that was really one of the main qualifying criteria. Um, the other one was that they would have had work experience in Australia. So it's really sort of a broad take to who we wanted to be doing the research. Um, and the way we decided to do so was, you know, this was done in consultation with our stakeholders, our advisory board members, um, because we had multiple debates about how, you know, one would go about identifying who is a migrant or refugee woman. Um, and that was really one of our main points of like um, discussions. And we felt like, you know, the best way to do it would be to leave it up to the women to decide if they're identified as being a migrant or refugee women, because that could have different implications. It's not just about the passport you hold or the visa you're holding at this point in time. You know, there are a lot of other things to consider um, because you could have an Australian passport, but you had grown up primarily overseas and only just came back. 
so there are, there are different things to consider and that's how we decided to do it yeah yeah and were there women who were a bit harder to reach and what implications does that have for the report definitely i mean i can go first and marie can jump in um to so i think when you say yes um you know were there women that were hard to reach definitely and i think we also note this in our report that actually a lot of the women who completed the report came from a very specific snapshot of society so there was this were women who were you know very highly educated they had very high educational qualifications as well i would say um and they often most of them were in like white collar office jobs we had very little women who were perhaps in more sort of bum work or more sort of precarious employments in that way um or you know sectors that we typically think about as more precarious and more informal kind of work that is something we're trying to counterbalance out in the second stage of our research that's currently ongoing through interviews and focus groups with this um women and so yes if you're thinking about implications that's a lot of implications for us to be thinking about in terms of like safety um i think perhaps it's useful to note just how expensive it is to do surveys the way you <laughs> ideally do them so that you know we know that um, both Sarah and I come from a research background working with people who might be working unlawfully or working as temporary visa holders in various situations. And so we have that experience. We know what it requires to build trust, to ask people to answer questions and also appreciate it's very important to have that experience mm. fed into research because it's often not heard. Um, so part of the design, as Sarah has outlined, was um, the funding is important, but also not not nowhere near enough to do paper based or to go out to people and do that kind of work. That is just incredibly expensive. The Human Rights Commission leads the research broadly on kind of national data on safety on sexual harassment in the workplace, and they undertake that via a phone study, but. That, that you know the investment in that is much larger but um so we built the survey we built sorry the project based on our understanding that we would be not able to reach a lot of important cohorts through it mm. but it would be the beginning point and it would help then ask some specific questions in this next phase which is important mm. and you do mention in the report that this is um as suru said as well it's a snapshot it doesn't reflect the experiences of all refugee and migrant women but it does create like a starting point as you mentioned so that's important to know so in 2022 the i think it's called time for respect survey was released that report was excellent but there was a gap and i guess that's where you guys came in um why was it important to focus on this particular cohort first of all we know that in this kind of research that the human rights commission leads they don't really explore and they're not able to explore in that kind of broad national research the specificity of lots of different population experiences because um, because of the limitations of creating a survey to begin with. So, you, you know, there's quite a lot of nuance and detail that you can't ask at that high level where you're just trying to get a sense of what's happening across Australia. The other component of that is that the way they speak in those kinds of surveys about 
women from migrant backgrounds broadly, so migrant or refugee, is via the single variable of the language that you speak at home. But we come from that and working with Harmony Alliance, which, as I said, is the National Women's Alliance for Migrant Refugee Women, knowing that it's very important to think beyond language as a single variable or indicator, but also that we need to build into our questions and understanding, for example, as Ceres mentioned, what impact does the visa you hold have? So we know temporariness is an important factor in the context of violence and exploitation. So we wanted to ask questions about that. But we also know that um, different people will experience different kinds of, uh, will bring different kinds of understandings of what safety is and how they experience safety, but also how they might think about responding to situations in the workplace. So the intention of this work was to allow a much deeper examination and also for the first time to have research that was conducted in languages other than English, and that's incredibly important. Our community is incredibly diverse. People are multilingual and prefer in some instances not to complete it in English, even if they're proficient in English. You need to make those options available to people. Sometimes people feel safer completing it in a language that's not English, perhaps because their colleagues around them can't see it, those sorts of things. So there's those things were a factor, and I'll allow Siri just to build on that. I mean, the language thing is obviously a key thing, and I think um, in our report we, we did um, their specific reference to the language matter, and we note that, you know, even though it is about 11%, um, correct me if I'm wrong, Marie, it was about 11% of people who completed it in a, in a language that's not English. Um, you know, that might seem relatively small in the larger picture of things. But in talking to, you know, migrant and refugee women, I think it becomes quite clear that having that option, having that alternative to do it in this other language is incredibly important. I would also like to sort of reference, you know, I think that's the coming through of this project, apart from the gaps in the AHRC survey, I think the other thing is it's also coming from a long line of the kind of other work that myself and Marie have been doing. Um, that's always been about um, the safety and security of migrant women, both in Australia as well as internationally um, and around um, thinking about labour conditions, thinking about safety at work, thinking about and the intersections with gender alongside, you know, all of the, all of the other matters as well. Mm. So, yeah, that is, it wasn't like a just one thing. I think it really is coming in and also noticing that, in Australia's, um, you know, recent years, we've had a lot of conversation about violence against women, domestic violence at home. But often what's missing from this sort of bigger conversations is the experiences of migrant and refugee women, mm. while knowing that, you know, there are many specificities that we need to be aware of. Yeah. Yeah. What this report does really well, once again, is that it doesn't only talk about the experiences, but the attitudes. So attitudes to reporting, attitudes to, I guess, not reporting as well. Um, mm. The key findings were very interesting. Can you provide, I guess, highlights mm. from the key findings, things that you thought were interesting and could provide for further investigation? 
I think it's worth noting, first of all, that this group, as Sarah said, was a particular group, which we knew because it was an online survey, but nonetheless, nearly half had experienced sexual harassment in the workplace. And when they experienced it, um, they were in temporary work. And this really points to some pretty considerable conversations around structural conditions of work. And we know that issues around temporary work, casualization of the labor force, those conversations cannot be had in isolation from understanding what the conditions are that sustain harassment. Because if you need work and you're experiencing this, women manage it, they don't leave if they can manage it. So I think though that's part of the conversation and something that we're exploring a lot in, in the next phase of this. That's one important consideration. I think another important consideration from the findings is that we asked our participants about their perceptions of the motivation for the harassment they experienced. And we asked that question not because it tells us anything about offenders or what they're thinking, but we know generally that if you ask someone about what they understood the experience to be driven by, it can play out and have implications for how you respond or manage what you might do about it. So our participants told us that they experienced or they perceived that the behaviour was driven both by gender and sex but also by race or religion. And so I think the conversation about the connection, the interconnection between discrimination and sexual harassment is incredibly important and also points to questions and considerations of power, of mm, course. Yeah. I think for, for myself and I think one of the things um, that really stood out was also the fact when we asked people why they chose not to report, I think um, one of the main things that they talked about was that they blamed themselves, like women felt that they were responsible, that they blamed themselves. Um, and the other thing that they also said that they were threatened or coerced or warned not to report. So I think those are two very um, unfortunate but unsurprising findings um, because they do reflect, I think, a lot of what we already know about why women don't tend to not report, you know, um, sexual violence or sexual harassment. And so that was something, that's also something that we're trying to explore a bit further um, in this second stage of the study because the survey itself is quite limited. We don't necessarily know why women felt responsible. We don't, it doesn't tell us that much detail, but that was something that I think um, that stood out for us in that way. And I just like to clarify that, you know, this doesn't necessarily mean that it came from authority or they were they were formally threatened in that way um it could also be in cases where you know it's your family or your friends or your peer groups that's telling you you know this is this may not be a worth it endeavor do you want to think twice about reporting and i think it all goes to show how a lot of the consequences of reporting is often borne by victim survivors and that is a very unfortunate outcome mm. or consequence of how the current of how the system is currently structured in a way that it places a lot of the owners and responsibility on the people who have been affected and impacted yeah. um, and structures that are not there that are not supportive enough to ensure that women can be safe enough so as yeah. we've mentioned throughout this is the first phase of a bigger study can you give us um, 
an outline of what the second phase is going to look like? What kind of what kind of research will it be? So the second phase of the research, which is you know as you've mentioned a few times, um, it is currently ongoing. Um, it is it is sort of two there's two parts to this second stage of the research. So the first part is where we have interviews with um, stakeholders. So we're thinking about organisations or key women leaders in the community who are working closely or who have worked closely with um, migrant or refugee women, including you know. We're thinking about international student um, advocates. We're thinking about, you know, community leaders. We're thinking about um, working women's centers. Um, so people in those positions who who have experience, who have interacted, um, who have worked closely with um, with these women, especially in relation to uh, workplace sexual harassment. Um, so that is one group. And the other bigger part of this um, second stage of research is where it's where we're doing focus groups with migrant and refugee women themselves. And so this is where, you know, noting the limitations that we had with the survey, this is where we're trying to expand an outreach to be able to get, to be able to speak to groups that were underrepresented in the survey. So that's what we're seeking to do. I'm trying to find out from them. And as what we've mentioned, because of what we noticed in from the survey findings, we have sort of, there, there is that focus on safety in the workplace. Um, and building on that for us to be thinking through some of the themes that have come up from the survey. So we, we have done follow-up um, focus groups with survey participants who had noted that, you know, they would like to, they're happy to be contacted for follow-up. That's what we've done. Um, and then we have this whole other bigger group where they would probably, they would not have done the survey, mm. but then they're all in different kinds of sectors, in different kinds of visa categories, having different levels of English language proficiency um, and having different employment status, because those are the sort of four sort of big categories that we've identified as having an impact. Yeah. And so, and of course, there might be other things that come through from the focus groups and from our conversations with women, but that's sort of our starting point and where we're, we're going from, from here. That was Dr. Suru Tan from Monash University. Suru Tan is a criminology lecturer with the Monash Gender and Family Violence Prevention Centre. You can read the study in full by going to www.anrose.org.au Anne Rose is spelled A-N-R-O-W-S. A summary of the survey is also available in the conversation. Up now is a poem by Karen Wilde from this year's Red Room Poetry. The Red Room Poetry is Australia's leading organisation for commissioning, creating, publishing and promoting poetry. Hi, I'm Karen Wilde and this is my poem, A Day at the Beach. They rode from the north, little way, not far now along routes passed down from ancestral wayfinders, in search of sea cucumbers and trade, perhaps love. Yellow dogs yapping from shore and boat, we remember you. People bring water and food to the beach, you're welcomed. Come, sit, let's talk, taste this, have that, rest now. Plenty time for business later, time is endless here. Others came from the west, drenched and bedraggled, shipping broken lives, hateful doctrines, gunpowder, 
There be dragons. No, just empirical fantasy again. Hoist the flag, rattle those chains, look at all this dirt. Heave ho, row, row, pull the boats up on the beach. Lo, get a look at this place. Get a look at them over there. Bang, bang. Let us now pray. Advance, fair Australia. A Nicobar pigeon drifted on the northwest winds alone, one of the last of its kind. A distant relative of the dodo, cousins even, iridescent green flashing under southern sun. Land ho, not far to go, that beach will do. Too tired to fly back to their island forest, they resign themselves to life as a foreigner. The orca swam along the western coast distracted watching an unfamiliar bird move towards the beach. Too small to even consider a snap, still pretty, hey? A loud engine, louder people disturb its serenity. Hey, kitty, kitty, off the sea. Smile for the camera. My, what big teeth you have. So pointy sharp. All the better to crunch on your bones, my dears. They galloped in from truth south foamy white tails and wispy manes flying, bringing with them a hint of icy cold air and tales of aggrieved 200-year-old ghost whales, Mare mares, yearning to touch ice-free beaches before retreating out to wild seas again, racing each other, now southward bound. We walked along the beach, waves caressing toes, Ripples of memories and debris from distant shores. Fragment of a coconut. One broken sandal. Blackened driftwood. Fish carcass not more than a skeleton. A shimmer of glass. Hey, look at this amber-brown bottle. No message, throw it back. A glance over sun-kissed shoulders. A whisper of laughter. Remember the last time we were here? When you weren't a memory? She gently added more twigs, blowing softly until red and orange tongues flickered, hungry for more. Children came running, laughing, escorting the catch. Eyes wide, big feed tonight. There's plenty for everyone. Warming ourselves by the fire, story weaves around us. Later, the children sleep in a huddle of cousins, right there on the beach. Stars twinkle overhead, a streak of light. Ancestors watch patiently. And that is the end of our show this week. Woman on the Line is a community radio national women's current affairs program. It's produced and presented by a range of broadcasters from 3CR in Melbourne and broadcast across Australia on the community radio network. We greatly appreciate the financial support from the Community Broadcasting Foundation. We welcome your comments or thoughts on today's show. So send us an email to womanontheline at gmail.com or phone 3CR on 03 8377. Woman on the Line programs can be downloaded from our website 3cr.org.au forward slash woman on the line. The theme music for Woman on the Line is by Ripley Kavara. Taking us out is Mary Makiba with Shikada Silva. I'm Ian Shirwa and you've been listening to Woman on the Line.
sua corte, cercada de belas mucamas. Nunca estelo na chagara da paia, de arquitetura sólida requintada, onde tinha seu um lago artificial, uma luxuosa galera. O seu amor, João Fernandes, o tratador, mandou fazer, separa ela, ai, ai, ai. listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.